This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, you learned how Airtailer.com uses conversational commerce to sell via text message. On today's podcast, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that tested the market with a splash page and very quickly pre-sold 500 products. In this episode, you'll learn how to use a splash page to validate the market, what to do when you're not able to fulfill pre-orders in time, and the cash flow issues and how to handle them when you're scaling up. Today, I'm joined by Teron Lazagoop from KnoxLabs.com. That's K-N-O-X-L-A-B-S. Knox Labs sells virtual reality viewers to turn your smartphone into an immersive virtual reality engine. It was started in 2014 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome. Hey, Felix. How's it going? Good. So tell us, I'm excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit more about your store and what is the product that you sell? Uh, we manufacture uh, mobile headsets that work with your smartphone, uh, mobile virtual reality headsets coupled with uh, an app. It um, essentially turns your phone into a 360-degree immersive uh, machine. So we all have, like, we've all had these in our pockets all this um, all this time. Now, with the with the right app and with the right uh, lenses, uh, it's possible to be more immersed into the story. So it's, it's uh, another a new medium of uh, telling stories. Yeah, I definitely see a lot more companies kind of investing in this technology like uh, Facebook and, and YouTube, you know, start introducing all those kind of 360 views. So I think it's mm-hmm. a very kind of fast moving industry. So how did you get into it? Like, were you always in uh, working in VR? Like, what was your background? So I graduated with electrical engineering and math, but never really did any work in any of those fields. Uh, afterwards, I Quick, well, not too quickly. I, uh, like, took me a year to fail uh, the a previous startup. Uh, it, it was like more of a, a Craigslist and uh, project management tool for filmmakers. My friend was a filmmaker, and he needed a tool like that to find other filmmakers around him uh, and collaborate. So, built that. Uh, that failed very awesomely. So, and then I was watching a, the Google I/O. Uh, in 2014, they so they gave out these uh, cardboard headsets to all the developers at the I/O. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I just took a screenshot of a few of it, uh, quickly made a uh, just a, like a, a simple uh, splash page saying, "Hey, you can pre-order yours from here." And I was just banking like on the day's uh, traffic, uh, so didn't really do much SEO or anything. Uh, it was just a fun, fun experiment. And then uh, ended up having like 500 pre-orders. I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. 
So I wanna, yeah, I wanna talk about this for a second. So you launched a startup previously, it failed, and then you were at this Google uh, basically conference that unveiled their new, I guess, um, technology with uh, VR, and they had these uh, cardboard, like literally made out of cardboard uh, headsets yeah. that you could buy. And basically, can you describe how it works? Like, how does the cardboard uh, work with your phone to create a immersive, you know, VR experience? So what happens is, so your eyes see the world in uh, at different angles. So an app on the phone so splits uh, the environment. Uh, and it try, tries to mimic how your eyes see the world. So it's, you, you get a stereoscopic vision in a sense. So each, uh, so you, you get the same image on opposite sides of the screen. One is a bit off by the certain angle that your eyes are off. So what the uh, glasses does is at a certain focal length uh, with specifically engineered lenses, you can get these images to superimpose on top of each other. So that's how you get the immersive uh, experience. For like for, for 3D content already existing, so you could take, for example, games that already exist that are already built in a 3D environment and um, push this to be stereoscopic. But for uh, content like real real life content, like pictures and videos, this has to be shot uh, again, with multiple cameras. Uh, so, for example, like a, a regularly used rig is a GoPro, six GoPros in a ball form. Uh, so each one fo- filming for each of the angles. Mm, so you had to shoot the content in a specific way. You create the content in a specific way for you to be able to use the, uh, the I guess, to be able to be used in a virtual reality kind of headset. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you are... So just kind of this, to describe the product a little bit more, it's like a cardboard headset, you know, obviously put it over your eyes and you put your phone into a slot, open up the app, or I guess maybe open up uh, YouTube or whatever other apps are out there. And basically through the lenses and the setup of the the headgear and the placement of the the um, the smartphone, you're you're basically able to experience like being in that actual room or wherever the video is being shot. You could turn around and the it'll basically look like you're turning around inside that video as well. Is that a good way of describing it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Like few more improvements upon is um, adding like a. A button, a conductive button, for you, so you can interact with the screen while the phone is inside the unit. Uh, so you don't have to stick your finger inside and tap the screen. Yeah, it's one of those products that you really have to try yeah. to really understand it because I, I heard about this um, kind of technology before, but kind of shrugged it off because you know I've heard about all the VR stuff in the past, and even when I was a kid, like you know many many years ago. I VR, you know, quote unquote virtual reality stuff existed already. So I thought this was something like that as well. But once I tried it for the first time, um, not exactly, not exactly your product. Maybe it was specifically or it came from Google or some somebody, somebody, a friend basically mm-hmm. let me try it on, and it uh, it was an amazing experience. I think uh, still has some ways to go, but I think just where it's at today, I think it's worth um, you know trying out for, or maybe even buying one of these uh, cardboard uh, devices that you have. Um, so you said that you saw this uh, at, at a conference. You it was almost like right time, right place for you. I was at home. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. You're home. You saw the the video, the announcement. You set up a splash page that what they just had the uh, uh, your own mock up or your own designs of the cardboard headgear. Like, what was the what did you put on the splash page? No, it was just a uh, it was just a screenshot of Google's. Wow. So since since they weren't uh, selling that, and it was like a few hours uh, like after the IO. It was a hot trending topic. So it was just exactly Google's products until I started making my own. Until like I had to learn how to make cardboards, cut cardboards. <laughs> mm, okay, so you, you set up a splash page and you said that you didn't even invest any time into driving traffic to it. Like obviously, it was just brand new splash page. So there wasn't any SEO, I guess, benefits or any, any way you can invest in SEO anyway because it takes some time so how did you get actual traffic to get 500 pre-orders on on a splash page that just had a screenshot i think it was besides the io page it was the only other uh page that mentioned google io so i think i i kind of probably beat the blogs to it as well or it went right at the same time as the blogs were mentioning google cardboard google cardboard so it just luckily like just got stuck in the medium Mm. i think uh, like about 40 like to 50 percent of anything you do is just time-based uh is is you can call it luck but it's just being in the right place i think most most of it has to do with that at least a part of it a main part of it yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, a big part of being a successful entrepreneur is, like you're saying, timing. And timing comes into play when you're able to quickly recognize opportunities, right? Because you're able to you're able to see, oh, this is an opportunity. Let me just do some low effort thing by creating a splash page and then seeing what happened. I, I'm assuming at that time, before you put up the splash page, before the 500 pre-orders, you didn't think that it was going to take off, but you're just going to kind of test the market. And I like this approach of putting up a splash page and then seeing how many people are ready to pay you for it. So talk to us a little bit about setting this up because I think other listeners might want to do something similar if they're just thinking about starting a store for the first time or maybe they have a store but are thinking about launching another product or product line and are thinking about testing the market using a splash page. So maybe we'll start off with, did you use a splash specific app or service to create this splash page? So I actually use uh, Shopify. Uh, so to make it, or I used Shopify, but uh, like I, I knew a bit of HTML. So I customized it a little using uh, another Webflow, Webflow.com. That was a help in customizing a certain like so, I used the template on Shopify, but modified it using Webflow uh, to give it more of the look that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Those like th- without those, like it would have been impossible <laughs> to do it within like few hours, you know. Uh, so the great, great online tools that uh, uh, made it possible. And then the exciting part was coming up with the name, and the, I wanted to, I. I felt that it was going to work and I wanted a name that did not have to be specific to the product uh, I've always felt myself as like a not not hacker but uh, just someone like always uh, messing around curious uh, so I've won like I've always liked the name labs like a mad scientist working on little projects here and there 
Not, yeah, just like, like you know, just uh, just having fun. Like, uh, I've got, always, like, that, that's, that always boils down to that. you got to have fun with whatever you're doing. Right. So, I didn't, uh, so yeah, the name came from that. Uh, so, to have, like, I wanted to, for it to grow, uh, and it, it had to be embedded in the name as well. So, it's not limited to a specific product. Right, you wanted to create a brand that you could, you know, launch this product successfully, but then not be pigeonholed into just creating this particular product. You yeah. want to be able to open the doors. I think that's a great, great point to to you know keep in mind is that if you have a vision for your brand being, you know, kind of envision your brand what it'll be like in five years or maybe ten years, and and set up yourself up so you don't get pigeonholed into that. Because I've talked to other entrepreneurs on this podcast uh, just recently, actually, about how they had to rebrand, and it's definitely not an easy process to go through, especially if you built up a lot of success, built up a lot of customers mm-hmm. already that are used to seeing you a certain way. When you start a new brand and rebrand, you're not only starting to build something new from scratch, but then you might also alienate or confuse your existing customers. So I think that's a, a great point that you want to be prepared for You know what you want to be doing next and not just thinking about what's right in front of you. Um, so you just want to talk about a splash page a little bit more. So you created this on Shopify. You had some HTML uh, changes to it just to work, change the flow that you wanted for it. And did you say like, hey, you know, this is a pre-order and click here to pre-order because obviously you didn't have any products at the time. Like, Tell us about that. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pre-order. Uh, I estimated it would take about five to six weeks to learn about uh, how to manufacture this. Uh, so... Uh, just randomly put that uh, you'll get your product within five to six weeks. Then, uh, so within that, the pre-orders that came in got me <laughs> the the money needed to invest in this. So I just literally went from like print shop to print shop, learning the process. Um, never like worked with cardboard. Never knew how a thing. The, and then started calling. Uh, lens manufacturers to see if I could get those like specific lenses that could mimic uh, what Google had done. Uh, went to a bunch of print shops in LA. Uh, they were, uh, some of them were very helpful. Learned uh, and then started cutting. <laughs> cutting and then had my uncle uh, assemble them at his apartment. So were you, were you able to do it in uh, five to six weeks? Were you able to deliver the products in time? It was a bit delayed. No, no, that was, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was delayed. And then within that time, like a lot of people, like a few other companies and people started doing the same thing too. Uh, so there's all like this hype. And after, after the event, Google posted like how to, where, where you could find some of the materials. So all of a sudden, all these materials were not available anywhere. Like you couldn't buy it online. You could yeah, you couldn't buy it on Amazon because the first model, like the first model that they made, was uh, used magnets and NFC chips for like phone recognition and rubber bands and Velcro and like those specific things just got bought out. <laughs> so I had to go and like uh, start looking into actually uh, buying it from non-traditional sources or like the Velcro and stuff, going to manufacturers and having them cut to a specific. Measurement. So I think I, I went like all the way in, like to just to get it done 
uh, however it took. So these are all th- th- this issue of um, uh, not having the supply need or supply uh, required. This was happening during those five to six weeks, or during right after you had yeah. that successful uh, presale. So you were just like mm-hmm. hustling, trying to find all the things that you needed to put it together. Yeah, yeah, it was an all-out hustle. <laughs> yeah. So what, what kind of emotions were were I guess going through your head? Because I can imagine if I was in your situation, I would be like semi super happy like wow i can't believe 500 people will put money into this and then quickly be like panicking like oh my god how am i going to fulfill all this and then not only that but then you ran into a bunch of issues with manufacturing like what were you thinking about as you were going through this you know one or two or three month phase of uh starting this business from almost like out of nowhere you know it's uh like looking back it's always uh you you, you always remember the happy stuff like it was a uh, it was a fun run uh, most of it was, uh, it was uh, obviously those setbacks were emotionally straining, uh, but just, just the curiosity and like just getting it done, uh, just made, made, made all those, uh, negative feelings go away. Uh, just, just making a tangible product out of, and ideas or someone else's idea in the beginning was what was driving it so it, it was it was i do remember stressful times like i called this like german company who had the lenses and uh they said they were exclusively selling to someone else and uh so that that was a very like bad downtime but just the passion of it that's why like coming back to uh your point on what you should do and how you should do it is always like I think like it just has to come from within like uh, some you have to feel with one you have to feel one with whatever you're doing in a sense like not necessarily the specific product but the line of like line of uh, work or it's just uh, you have to have fun man like that's all it comes down to like you have to have fun I know exactly what you're saying. I was actually just talking to the entrepreneur about this, about how important is it to be passionate about the product that you're selling. And he was saying something that I, I totally agree with, which is that what's more important than being passionate about the product is being passionate about the process about going through mm-hmm. the process of starting a company. You could be selling socks or cars or you know VR goggles, whatever it is. Like the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that fall in love with going through the the hustle and the struggle and not just the good times, but the bad times and being a part of that process because there is no end destination, right? A lot of people think like, I'm going to work really hard and get to this final destination place and I'll be happy or whatever, you know? That never happens, right? There is no kind of end destination. You really have to enjoy the process. Otherwise, you're not going to kind of, you won't last, you know? You won't be able to stick it yeah. out because someone else is ready to do the work. Yeah, not at all. And like, there's no end destination. And there's like, literally no beginning either. Like, when it's it's just so uh, awesome. Like, where you get a single neuron firing that turns into other neurons, that turns into an idea, turns into something tangible, and you cause that momentum forward. 
That's the yeah. that's the awesome part. No, I was gonna. I said this on a past podcast, which is when you are an entrepreneur and you're selling products, you know, physical or digital, you're basically performing a magic trick that takes many months or many maybe many years to play out because you're literally taking something in your mind, something that doesn't exist yet, and then turning it into something that does exist, and that's like a legit like magic trick, right? It takes a long time for it to pan out. Yeah, I agree. That, that's a good way of putting. No, yeah, I, I I try to think of it that way now because you have to stop and appreciate that you are doing something that most people aren't going to think are is possible, you know, because it doesn't seem like it's possible. But once you're going to put in the work day in day out, it starts coming together, and I think um, that's uh, again, you have, that's why you have to fall in love with it because it's a slow process. Um, but as long as you put in the work, I think you can you know make strides. So you said that um, you weren't able to hit that that five to six week deadline. How did uh, how long did how long did it take, and how did customers react to that customers some were supportive a lot were very uh so in an age where like we get instant satisfaction from instant gratification from anything uh even like buying from amazon right it's just it's going to be there in two days yeah so there's there's this this uh, notion created that it's everything's going to be like that uh, a lot of so initially it was it was pretty tough like not meeting that it was uh, very uh, negative like uh, people that did understand it were very supportive that did understand the process that it's just one person from nothing uh, but most of the most of the customers didn't they just they're very very like. Uh, hurling out uh where's where's my product where's my product mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh but but it, it, it comes from the current uh way the, the current way the ecosystem is set up uh, so always keeping them in uh constant communication mm-hmm. just letting them know what's going on hey i got this part now i got this part now i'm working on this part this is the process this is like sending videos of like it being cut just uh, constant, constant updates. Yeah, that transparency is definitely important. It's it's very and it, it travels a long way. It goes a long way. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter what the difficulty is. Like even if you woke up late, you know, uh, you're just being transparent about it. Uh, it's uh, like all human beings appreciate true true emotion. Uh, so uh, that that helped it through. Yeah, that's what I've heard too for with Kickstarter campaigns where, you know, probably 90% of them don't get delivered on time, but the ones that are that are you know, that have happy customers are the ones that are super transparent and tell them about what goes into it and, you know, the struggles and like why things are delayed or, you know, what the, the, the kind of small wins like you're talking about, how I got this part, got that part. You know, as long as people recognize that not only are you being transparent, but that you're an actual person. I think that goes a long way because a lot of us are now, you know, very kind of uh, wary of big corporations. And if you're become if you're faceless and people don't realize that you're a person, then they started thinking that oh, this is another company that's trying to take my money and mm-hmm. run with it. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's uh, important to just come out, be honest, and be vulnerable, even saying like, hey, look, you know, this is what's going on. I think people really appreciate that. Cool. So, um, 500 pre-orders. You eventually were able to get them out on time. What was next? Like, when did you decide to say, okay, let's turn this into um, an actual storefront, and rather than doing pre-sales, actually be able to sell these outright? So, what happened is uh, again, chance. Uh, a company from San Francisco contacted 
saying, hey, can we get our name printed on these? So uh, obviously say yes and then try to get out, it, get out under it afterwards. So I said, sure, I can do it. Uh, and then started uh, uh, learning how that could be done. Uh, so that was what uh, drove most of it. And then I started uh, reaching out to some brands afterwards saying, hey, you could do this, use this as a marketing tool. Uh, and then uh, a lot of agencies and brands, mostly from overseas, started um, contacting saying, hey, uh, we want to brand this, we want to brand this. Uh, uh, so a lot what made it, made me more confident to sell it to a consumer was the business, uh, the business push. So the B2B interest. So initially you were selling it to businesses directly that wanted to put their own brand on the, the, um, the devices that you're selling? Yeah, I was doing both. So after pre-orders, uh, like after I had a certain supply already in set, I opened it to orders. So it was attacking at both channels, one B2C and the other two businesses. Uh, but the businesses, so the problem is, was uh, like any other medium is, it's a very chicken and egg problem, right? So you had, you had these viewers, but you had no content. And in order to drive people to make more content, you need more viewers to be on the market. Uh, so someone had to take the bait in uh, ensuring both uh, directions are covered. So th- those were uh, these advertising agencies. Mm. Uh, so I, I remember, like I was, I was watching Mad Men, uh, and it was just, like just reminiscing of those times. Like it felt like the, although never, I wasn't born in the '60s, born like late '80s. It, it felt like it was just like that advertising era like it was it was pretty cool so you uh so what they did is uh they went and they put a lot of money into producing content for their brands which is as a brand you want something cool something innovative to always be on the cutting edge so me presenting this and uh, like google presenting this uh avenue for it turned out to be a new avenue for marketing no one knew it at the time but it it just uh randomly started going in that direction like it's just the momentum just took it that way i want to pause here so you you said that you're basically saying that the advertisers were the first ones to jump onto this uh i guess train where you have to not only create the content but then also create content that will attract viewers. So how did you know to work with these advertisers? Because it sounds like the advertisers are the ones that are going to be the first movers on pushing this virtual reality, um, I guess, technology. How did you know to reach out to them or did they reach out to you to, to you know, sell these goggles? Most came out uh, to me uh, because, again, it was the only one online at the time that seemed uh, legit. <laughs> it seemed like a, the website made it look like it was a, a company, uh, not just a single person. The, it, it was, in the beginning, it was a, a monopoly in a sense uh, of where they could find someone that could brand these. Uh, 
uh, or had the supplies to make these. Because uh, af- like after the initial forego, uh, Google didn't know what was going to happen. It was just some fun project they did. Uh, so they weren't uh, going to open it. Uh, they, they weren't interested in doing uh, like branding or in anything like that related to it. So mostly it was the due diligence of uh, agencies staying on top of new innovative technologies coming out. Mm, okay, so what is, it, what is it like working with other businesses like this to personalize or customize your product? And like, what are kind of, I guess, some of the pros and cons going that route versus selling directly to consumers? So it's a lot uh, more tiresome, <laughs> a lot more uh, uh, back and forth emails, uh, but it's 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 much more rewarding because it's uh, you you see innovation firsthand, like working with like just the creatives is uh, the ideas they have on like even like what kind of content to make. You see it firsthand being formed. Which is you? I would always see like the end product and say, "Wow, that's that's a freaking cool ad. That's a that's a that's a pretty awesome like campaign they did." So the rewarding part was actually being part of the campaign. So like having, uh, and also since since it's still in the beginning, uh, it's it's total chaos. Like the virtual reality medium is, even though now it's much more formed, but it's still just totally chaotic. No, no one knows what they're doing. Uh, I don't either. But uh, it, it, uh, that itself allows for you to be creative, and I think that's 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 the with with uh, brands. That's what resonated well is uh, since they didn't know what they're doing. Uh, that is, and anything was for grabs. So you could exert your own creativity into the process as well. I think this is an important point to talk about. Uh, A lot of uh, stores will probably, you know, be selling in industries that don't change much, but there's definitely a lot of industries Mm -hmm. that you can get into that are quickly changing, that just came out into the marketplace and are rapidly changing and no industry leader really knows what's going on, like the way that you're describing virtual reality, like what's happening with virtual reality technology. So in those situations, because so much change is going on, so much chaos, how do you kind of keep it all under control for your own business and know what you should be doing for your business? A lot of it, you know, it has uh, to do with intuition. Uh, I don't think we're taught much about it in school. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we were more taught about, uh, you know, the specific aspects, more about logic, 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 Get, getting the specific solution to a specific problem. But then at the end of the day, the decisions you make, most of it are very emotional. Uh, you, you, you have all these senses that you know, processes all this like, information that then it comes within you. It's a very emotional, yes, no, this is the right way. So I think a lot of it is listening to yourself. Uh, just because there, there, there is no right or wrong. Like it's just like your, the voice within is... Uh, for at least for me, it's always been pretty right when I've listened to it. So it's just listen to yourself. I think uh, entrepreneurial intuition is definitely underrated. You know, a lot of times we talk about how can we figure out, how can we look at the analytics, how can we look at the data, and that stuff is all really important. Uh, but don't 
discount your intuition, like the way you're yes. saying. And and I think another point you made is really important too, not just for entrepreneurs, but also uh, when you market to people that what you're saying about how we make decisions emotionally, and that's so true. We we and all obviously all custom all of your own customers out there, people that are listening, they make the decisions emotionally first to buy something or not and then logically they, they justify that decision so exactly. you know always think about that first which is, which is why you always want to lead with emotions sell people on their emotional kind of side first and then their their logic side would turn on and try to justify their emotional decision so not just important for entrepreneurs but also when you come when you sit down and write your copy or you know put together your videos for your marketing and all that um, so speak of intuition you know, I want to make sure this is kind of actionable for the listeners is there a way to improve your intuition is it just is it just getting more experience like is it even possible to improve your kind of entrepreneurial gut yeah I think it's self-gravitating uh, the more the more you uh, use it, the better you get at using it. Just like uh, just like logic. Uh, so it's it's just is is not to disregard one with the other. So it's it's uh, to you, you you use them in in balance. I think uh, and, and and a lot of like it's it's also surrounding yourself with a team that is appreciative uh, and understanding of. Uh, your your actions, your intuition, your feelings, and they're they're more or less on the same uh, same same line of sight. So that that helps a lot. Like l- learning from others that are appreciative but not similar to it. Mm, okay. So yeah, let's talk about the the business. How, how you've been in business for coming up on two years now. Had a really good kind of traction early on. How successful is the business today? And you know, share whatever number is you're comfortable sharing. So now now it's a it's a decent sized team. We have uh, seven guys here in uh, our Los Angeles uh, Los Angeles office. We uh, have about uh, twenty five thirty. Workers using it to for for assembling again in Los Angeles. About uh, we have seven developers uh, in uh, Armenia. That's where I come from, so it's uh, had a lot of friends there. Uh, so it's it's grown substantially. We last year we did about two uh, two point nine million in sales. So we get about about like eighty thousand uh, uh, views a month on the web web page. Uh, so yeah, and then it's uh, the direction has changed a little too on the uh, on the business. That's amazing. Two point nine million in sales, all from a pre order page that you saw sitting at home watching uh, <laughs> the, some kind of events and putting it up. That's amazing. I think that speaks not just volumes about making sure that you're able to seize opportunities, but then <clears throat> really keep on executing on it over and over again, right? Which is how you're able to almost hit $3 million within your first full year of business. So is, um, I guess, just being first on the market was how you got traction early on. Is that still how you, gen- how do you generate, I guess, um, traffic today? Like what's are some of the main uh, channels of traffic for you? So now, uh, so uh, Google started. They formed a uh, a unit within the the company uh, called the cardboard 
unit. And uh, so they contacted uh, me at the time and saying, if like, we love that you're spreading cardboard love, we would love, we would love for you to be part of the, like, uh, this experiment because they didn't even know where it was going. So that helped a lot. So in getting a certification from them in a sense that uh, Knox Labs is a Google certified partner. Uh, so a lot of traction came from that. So we're, and, and obviously like immediately you had already in that time having a lot of these products being produced in China, uh, much cheaper uh, and not, not as good quality. So getting that uh, that uh, certification, in a sense, uh, locked it down to where, hey, uh, whoever was, any, any agency, any brand wanting to get into using this automatically uh, come to us because of the association. And so that, that tremendously helped a lot. Uh, and now it's, it's more of... Uh, we're trying to push where mobile VR is heading um, instead of like t- taking so the cardboards we produce are uh, some some that are our own creations, some with modifications of the Google cardboard product. So we've taken it more of like as a hybrid agency where we since background is development uh, we develop apps for uh, brands as well. Since it's such a new market, that's the thing. Like You can just put out and test anything you want. Like uh, The client would come saying they want to uh, uh, brand, brand these uh, cardboards, but they were also looking for like someone to do an, an app for them. And since it's a VR app, it's so such like new stuff. Like No one knows how to do it. Uh, it's, it's capitalizing on those, uh, that's saying like just new opportunities. Hey, okay, we can develop the app for you too. So now it's more of an agency model where our core is pushing the hardware, uh, the mo- mobile hardware, uh, making it much, much, much more, uh, literally mobile, something you can put in your pocket instead of, uh, carrying with you. So concentrating on that as the core and like, looking out for newer branches within the medium as well. Mm, so you're basically trying to just do what you did previously by being first on the market, now trying to see where else this more, this technology is going to go and try to be there first again. Yeah, yeah. just always, I think, uh, staying uh, ahead of the curve is both uh, fun and <laughs> besides that, the... the it's, uh, it's very uh, rewarding. Uh, so you end up, what happens is you, you, you only end up listening to your own creativity and not looking at, uh, not following mm-hmm. any other competition. And I think that's very important on how it, because uh, unique ideas, unique things always come from places where they have not been tainted in a sense or not been exposed to uh, stuff that has is similar uh, so it's 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 very important to do that to i think to to uh, stay ahead 
uh, to always try to redefine it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, first mover advantage is a real thing, which is you're the first one out there that's going to capture a lot of the market, at least early on, and give you the traction you need to come out onto the marketplace and for, the, for you to get the awareness. But then, of course, from there on, you have to actually execute and deliver. But being first mover will definitely get you the kind of attention a lot easier early on. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of things I think that you have a unique um, perspective on. The first one was about is about scaling because you went from, you know, from not much to 2.9 million in sales in 2015, seven employees in L.A., 25 to 30 that are assembling your your products, seven developers in Armenia. What was painful about this experience? You know, I'm assuming it was painful because you scaled up so quickly. What was that like? The cash flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, it's just since it's a uh, it's, it's something that has a tangible product at the end. Uh, what would happen? And and the the working with bigger brands. Is, is always net 30, net 45, you know, so you have to do the work and then get paid. So cash mm-hmm. flow was just the main, main issue and always is at, at least, uh, we'll, now we're still bootstrapped, but it's just one day it's, you're good and the next week you're almost like hitting zero in the bank account. Yeah, I've heard, uh, heard this situation about, you know, people always say, oh, that's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem, right? No, man, it's, it's a stressful, dude. It's still, a, it's still a stressful problem to have, so it's not a, you can't really discount it. So what what do you do to solve this? I'm assuming other people listening out there might not be scaling as quickly as you are, but also run into this cash flow issue. Like, what are some ways other than, I guess, the most obvious way, which is to raise funding? Are there other ways to work around or manage the cash flow issue? Yeah, what we did is, we use this service called, uh, I think it was Blue Vine. What we, uh, they loan you out uh, uh, the money based on a, a contract that you have with whoever you're working with. So let's say we're doing a project for Google. We would show, uh, show the contract or the PO that we have with Google. And, and, and so they would loan you money out for the amount of the PO, uh, like up, up to like hundred, I think hundred fifty k, and uh, so basically you get paid before, and they take like they took a very small percentage, so it was very, very helpful actually. Instead of like taking a loan from a bank or okay, so you're you're basically paying a little bit of money to change net thirty down to early. net yeah. zero mm-hmm. or whatever immediate payment yeah. is. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that existed, but uh bluevine.com looks like at the website that uh, that you or the other listeners can check out if you are right into this issue. Um so I know that you're also on Amazon. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Like how 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 has it been selling on Amazon? Amazon uh, has been interesting. Uh it's uh so he, here's the thing. Um, people usually, when they find the product, they end up searching for it on Amazon as well because of the ease of buying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could either hurt you or help you <laughs> because of the percentage that Amazon takes. And uh, so you're, in this sense, competing with yourself through it. Uh, so so for us, it's it's been... Oh, it's been okay. It's been an awesome, uh, like awesome side, 
side income as well, but mm-hmm. mostly it's been through mainly the Shopify side. Uh, but again, people buy, buy from Amazon because of the ease of uh, just the prime delivery. Uh, so, hey, like it's about the same price, but I guarantee we'll get it in two days. That's, that's interesting about how it could cannibalize your sales. Have you been able to kind of see that like in the numbers? That- it did. Yeah, yeah. At, at, one, at one point it did. Uh, because the price that we were giving it to them was at a bulk discounted price, right? And what we were selling at, uh, essentially what Amazon, what, whatever profit Amazon made in, uh, in selling those, like, didn't make sense. We were, like, coming out almost at cost, just selling this to Amazon for them to sell it to us at bulk. So the, at, at that point, it did uh, it, it did sort of bite into the business a bit. Uh, so what you can doing that that's in is either renegotiate with Amazon uh, or have them low low. So, so what we did is we we, we luckily at at the point we started like a new. Uh, manufacturing process so we could lower costs a bit. Uh, so we lowered it on our site, which brought business back to it. <laughs> so it was, it was competing with ourselves. It's, mm-hmm. Amazon can be good or bad, but I think you should. You sh- it gives it credibility being on Amazon from that uh, delivery factor. Mm, I see. So just uh, overall, though, it has improved your, it has been beneficial for the business just because of, like you're saying, Credibility be on Amazon. You guys have like yeah. the reviews on there as well. Yeah, reviews, reviews. Yeah, they do. People trust reviews on Amazon because it's honest. Uh, like it, it, it gives that transparency. What we were talking about before. It's it's very uh, just innately people trust reviews on Amazon. So definitely helps from the, the review factor as well. I I would suggest being on Amazon as well. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. So, um, in terms of running the the store itself, do you have any uh, favorite tools or apps that you, as a company, use, or any specific Shopify apps that you use to help run the business? So, the Shopify reports are very helpful apps. Let's see what apps we use. We use Asana for coordinating. Uh, that was uh, pretty help helpful. Uh, Olark for chat uh so you get the little pop-up button on the uh button at the bottom of the page uh so quickly uh, it, it brings a vote of confidence when someone can contact the site like quickly without mm-hmm. having to click an email link email so Olark helps a lot um and then ship station for shipping uh that makes it uh super it links it with the ShipStation site, which makes shipping much, much easier. So we use those. Uh, yeah, I think those are the... We've used like some here and there to like modify products, like uh, custom order, like order entry and management apps. 
Yeah, I think those are the main ones we've used. Awesome. Cool. So thanks so much for coming on Toronto. So knoxlabs.com, K-N-O-X-L-A-B-S.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend a listeners check out if they want to follow along with what more of what you're up to, what the company's up to? Like the if you search uh, get cardboard, that's a that's a pretty cool place on Google website that tells a lot about the mobile VR industry. So that, I think that'll be pretty interesting. Awesome. So uh, knoxlabs.com again is a store if you guys want to check it out or you know potentially buy one of these products. Again, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.